you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Today, Elissa Zimmer, one of our youth librarians, is here to talk about just some of the many books that she read within this single calendar year of 2020. She got up to 174 books. She talks about her reading routine, what works for her. She talks about why she assigns these goals for her. And she talked about all of the worthwhile insights and perspectives that she received from going through every one of these books and getting to know their main characters. Thanks for tuning in. So it's the end of the year. There's still time left. There's barely time left. And you read how many books this year? So it's funny that you talk about time because I'm looking at a list that I printed out on December 7th. Today is the 9th. Yes. My number has already changed in two days. I have read 174 books in 2020. Wow. I read almost that same number. Uh Uh-huh. I read seven books, <laughs> and since both of our numbers have a seven in them, that's almost the same number. 174? Yep. And how do you do that? Yeah, if- can I take you through my journey? Please, take us through this odyssey. Okay, so I joined Goodreads and created my first challenge in 2015, and 50 seemed like a really nice round number for a librarian to get to in one year, and I did not make my challenge that year. I read 46 books. And so in 2016, I thought, why not? Let's up the number to 90. And that was the first year that I surpassed it. I read 91 out of 90 books. And so every year since then, I've kind of incrementally, you know, raised my reading goal from 50 to 90 to 115 to 125 to 150 to 160. (laughs) I mean, some people run marathons and some people... Read marathons. Read. Uh, What exactly inspired this in the first place? So coming to Ferndale, this was the first time that I was able to order for a collection. And I have this sort of, obviously, a love of reading. I think I have this like element of perfectionism that's informing this and that I want to do really effective reader's advisory. So to me, it's not enough to necessarily just know the synopsis of a book because those aren't often written by the author Mm -hmm. and they don't encompass everything that happens in a book. So I don't know. I really just like being like in the books myself and really knowing like what they're about. So I can say more definitively to kids that come in, yes, you'll like this. No, you won't. And also keeping kind of a tab on, you know, like publishing trends and what's like, what's really important? Like, what are what are the issues that are being written about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The real DNA of the book. Yes. The full, the full DNA code of a book, it, which is usually, you're talking about it, those connections can be made sometimes on surface levels. If we're not careful with Reader's Advisory, you could say to one kid, did you like Lord of the Rings? Then you'll like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that's not the case. Right. Yeah. And I think... It also helps because sometimes books get so much praise and then you read them and you're just like, why? So it's helpful to have your own also subjective opinion, but, Mm -hmm. you know. You go in there like Emperor's New Clothes style and you're like, this book got a lot of buzz and it is, in fact, not 
mm-hmm. all of that and mm-hmm. a bag of chips. Yes, for sure. So tell me more about this journey. Do you want to talk about some specific books that you read within this year out of the 174? Yeah, it's going to be really hard, Jeff. Going on 175? I, I guess I was trying to pick out some themes, and I think my reading has gotten really heavy a few months into you know, pandemic shutdown is really when it picked up and I've started paying more and more attention. And that's kind of interesting, too, because I went from doing like reading and little snippets in my car to doing a lot more print reading and then still some audiobooks at home, but maybe like the chunks of time kind of changed. So that's an interesting factor. But anyway, what were were the percentages of your reading level you're reading for the kids you want to make recommendations for these must mostly be kids books out of my 174 yeah a lot of my stuff this year was middle grade and i i feel like i've read less than 10 or 15 adult books this year which i would definitely probably change i usually like to make sure that i'm reading a mixture of things but i have read way more middle grade this year and while i love it sometimes i do crave what i consider a palate cleanser Mm -hmm. of you know, something that's a little bit more relatable to where I am in my life right now. <laughs> but this is good. We're talking about books that, if I'm to to be reductive here and summarize, like fifth grade, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, right? That's what uh, we're talking about? Up through eighth, really. Okay. And I feel like that's a good segue to say, like, when I said books that I can relate to, because one major theme that I was noticing in books that were coming out and that I was reading was there's a lot about middle school female empowerment Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna like run through there's a lot of books that have come out this year in the past like 12 months even you know about period empowerment there was a graphic novel called go with the flow that's kind of for like definitely older middle grade even ya about some girls who start a, a period blog and i thought that was really cool and then there's a lot of books that are coming out about like sexual harassment and kind of like what's an appropriate touch, not appropriate touch. One that really sticks out to me is Maybe He Just Likes You by Barbara D. So good. Mm-hmm. I think it was included in one of your Oakland Press columns that you wrote. Yeah, you... I, I try to choose books that really resonate with me and that I find really important to write about there. And that one was great because it showed how middle school boys turn like touch into a game. And how even girls will turn on each other because they want the attention. And and another thing that I loved about that book is that like the characters didn't get their comeuppance in the end. There was an example of restorative justice where they sat in a circle and they talked about like how the, the girl main character was able to say, this made me feel bad mm-hmm. and here's why. Mm-hmm. And the boys had to sit with that. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um. And what, we're, what we should stress here is that the value that I'm taking from what these books are talking about is the young person who could be experiencing this might not know who to talk to and or how to talk about it. And the book is this safe space, I guess, even though it is a, a fiction story with lots of drama in it. Totally. And one thing that I have really loved about these books, and I'm going to talk about this in another like kind of theme that I picked out, too is I feel like authors get it so right in showing how friendships change mm-hmm. in middle school because, you know, you're on the cusp of puberty and people are developing both, you know, physically and also like their interests at different rates. And so in a lot of these books, there's this 
storyline of the main character feeling less left behind by a really good friend who they've known like their whole life. And I think all of these books show, because it's in pretty much every single one, that that's a natural thing that happens and it's okay. And I love that all of these books have different outcomes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there there is a splitting and it the characters don't come back together. Sometimes they stay friends, but they're not as close. And it really shows that you can create new friendships and things can evolve. And I actually just finished a book yesterday in which a new girl moved to town and kind of threatened the status quo of these two best friends. And she didn't end up pulling the main character away from her best friend. She was just added into the circle Mm -hmm. and they were all able to be there for each other, which Mm -hmm. I thought was so cool. There's not enough examples of girls and women supporting one another. It's really like, oh, you're out to get me. I'm not, I'm just going to cut you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. What was it? What was the title of that book? Uh, so the other yeah, one that I just finished yesterday was called Scritch Scratch by Lindsay Curie. And it's actually a spooky themed book okay. about a girl who goes on her dad's Chicago hauntings tour and starts getting haunted by a ghost. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Again, another value here is that this gives them, I guess, kind of a, I'm not going to say it gives them a language to communicate their own feelings, but it must be cathartic for a young reader to see a character going through something that they feel they're going through. And the dialogue gives voice to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because if if these modern day middle schoolers were anything like me, we certainly didn't communicate our feelings to each other. That's funny. No, that's probably true. You know, I mean, if if a if a friend, if I had a friend breakup, I guess if there's another phrase for it, where mm-hmm. I grew apart, there's 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 no dialogue about that. Mm-hmm. The one friend doesn't say, I don't I didn't want to hang out with you, Jeff, because right. So oh my gosh, that I feel like I'm going I'm gonna go off on a tangent a little bit. Please do. But that's that's actually another trend that I've seen in publishing, and this is present in the adult publishing world is there's been a lot of books published about female friendships and I think what you're saying is so important because we aren't taught that friendships are just as if not more important than romantic relationships and I think that's especially true for um, female identified folks it's not on my red list yet Mm -hmm. but hopefully before the end of 2020 I want to read Big Friendship by Anne Friedman and Aminatou So who run the podcast Call Your Girlfriend but I did read... She's going to read it before the year ends. Let's face it, folks. Jeff is going to have to do some editing here. No, I'm going to keep this in. I want people to know that you brought your notes. Oh, gosh. My notes are literally my Goodreads list that is printed out with all of the book covers. Shout out to Goodreads. Yeah, if you're not on Goodreads, you should get on it because it's helped me so much to organize my reading. And, of course, when you... When you read this much, I guess like one one casualty, shall we say, is that sometimes a book kind of does slip through the cracks and I may not remember it. But obviously it's super easy to like pull up your app or the website and go back through. And then even just seeing the cover is going to trigger the memories of what it was about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here it is. I didn't recognize it because it's like kind of weird. So I listened to this on audiobook, actually, and it's called Text Me When You Get Home. And I believe the subtitle is... The Evolution of Female Friendships, something like that. So the title itself, Text Me When You Get Home, is like, you know, something that women have sent to each other. I guess pretty much as as long as we've had cell phones is that Mm -hmm. we are really there looking out for each other. 
So that's really important. Mm-hmm. What's the next uh, part of your journey you want to talk about? Um, I did a really concerted effort to read scary books this year because with the pandemic and everything, I've really tried to lean hard into seasonal things because I feel like it makes me live more in the present, which I love. I think that's very important. I'll go on a tangent by saying that I feel that I and many folks have not been able to live in the present because we have continually repeated the phrase. Everyone has heard this phrase by now. Quote, when all this is over, Mm -hmm. we've said that for nine months now, Yeah, which means we spent nine months living with our eyes toward a future. And you might miss Halloween if you do that. You know what I mean? And Halloween starts in July for me because I I read this book that I actually recommended to you, Camp Murder Face. Excellent. Did you read it? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. So like it takes place in the early 1980s, a girl and a boy. And I I believe it was written in alternating points of view. And Mm -hmm. it was also written by two different authors. They go to camp. The camp is haunted by like zombie murdered witches nuns you know it's like truly spooky the Mm -hmm. ways that it comes out and what i love about this book and i'm not like a big fan of the 80s and i know jeff you kind of are right very very okay especially 80s horror there's a lot of references to friday the 13th yes so many pop culture references which are super fun and Mm -hmm. i feel like i also wrote about this book for my oakland press column Just because I feel like it bridges like a gap in generations, people who were born around that time and would get all that stuff could really get a kick out of reading that with their kids. Oh, yes. And what I loved about that book is the characters never really seemed to get too scared. Like they were like, okay, like things are haunted. Like, how do we solve this? Like, let's jump in. And like they would not be dissuaded. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, they didn't have a panic or frozen moment. They had like... They had WTF responses, Mm -hmm. but then they got to business, I guess. Yeah. So I mentioned Scritch Scratch already. And then another one is a series that I actually just started. And the first book is the one that I've read so far, and it's called The Mystery of Black Hollow Lane. And it's about this American girl who doesn't really know her dad, but she finds like these weird trinkets of his in her house and her mom sends her to boarding school in the UK. Mm. And so it's kind of got that, I mean, I guess Harry Potter, but gothic. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Just boarding school with like super sketchy, spooky elements. And so she's kind of trying to figure out where her dad fits into all of this. And she like gets like a secret note passed to her by a, a priest when she's at a concert and like all this kind of stuff. And then she unlocks the secret to this whole Black Hollow society. There's just so much ambiance. Like Indeed. I love it. Indeed. I feel like when I was growing up trying to read middle grade books that were scary, they were either, it was very much a, a three bears porridge situation. They were either written as to be too adult and too scary or too condescending to the to the reader of the reader's age. What did you love most about these scary books? Did they did they fall in the middle there? Yeah, I think I feel like setting was really important for all of these setting and the ambiance that kind of comes with that. Mm-hmm. Like even though, you know, the two that I just threw out were really different, like 1980 summer camp in America and modern day boarding school in the UK, you're just so put right in that world. Oh yeah. And I think that's what I loved about them. Right on. They just came alive in that way. Mm-hmm. I just, I want to throw out some funny ones as well. So, um, just funny or funny scary? Funny scary. Or scary funny. 
Sorry, funny. No, this one is definitely funny, scary. There's a book called Embassy of the Dead by Will Babbitt. And this one is like your typical like British, like tongue in cheek sort of thing. This kid, he accidentally intercepts a package from like basically kind of like a Grim Reaper type character. And then this just um, spurs into action all of these people from the Embassy of the Dead who are after him because he's not supposed to have received this package. And so he literally goes on an adventure, kind of gathering up ghosts, driving his father's RV across the English countryside. You know, when this started, it sounded scary, and then it got funny. I love that idea. Yeah, it's like really quippy, kind of like... If you're a fan of Neil Gaiman, you would definitely get into this one because it's just really sharp. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Terry Brooks vibes, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fun for kids. Kids need that. I I don't want to miss out on highlighting some books that also kind of showcase like non-white folks as well. So a much lauded debut this year was Ghost Squad by Clarabelle Ortega. Ghost Squad takes place in St. Augustine, Florida in present day. So the main character is um, Dominican and, um, you know, there's a lot of like references to, oh, this one is also rife with 80 stuff, Jeff, which you would be really into. So like all throughout this book, they're referencing the Goonies a lot. Excellent. And the main character's best friend's grandma is a witch who has a bunch of cats who are all named after Goonies characters. So she helps with the cat named Chunk. (laughs) solve um, this haunting that's possessing the mayor of the whole town. Another one that was really interesting, and I believe that we either were heavily considering or did pick this one for one of our battle books this year, is a book called The Last Last Day of Summer by Lamar Giles. And he's a black author who's writing science fiction starring two black boys who are cousins, and they're just well-known around their town for all of the crazy sci-fi hijinks that happen and they're the ones who solve it. So these two boys are like disappointed that school is about to start and then all of a sudden like these time stealer people come in and time literally freezes. And so these boys spend this crazy long day trying to solve this mystery of the frozen time and they're like utterly exhausted, but it's so cool. Like one thing I love about this book and Ghost Squad, is that there's all these references to, you know, like the characters, both their skin tone and like their hair texture and stuff like that. And it's just so cool to see authors of color and non-white folks being, I don't want to say like mainstream, but like being published and being available and not just like, you know, a narrative of like a kid who plays a sport Mm -hmm. or something like that, like really breaking through to do like sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that for a middle grade crowd. It's so, so cool. Absolutely. I was just looking at the cover for that book and it seems that there's an image of the boys running away from a giant robot, which seemed like a real action sequence (laughs) uh, for whatever hijinks they get into. It sounds great. Yeah. And that, like, what I love about The Last Last Day of Summer as well is that, you know, if you have a reluctant reader who is not going to stick around for a lot of plot exposition or something like there's just so much action Mm -hmm. in that one. Man, I really read a lot of heavy hitters, Jeff. <laughs> heavy heavy hitters in that they're books that you just absolutely loved and were bowled over by or more like they are representing like a specific thing that's very important 
I do like to read for escapism, but I also like to know what books are out there that are making a point. Like mm -hmm. they're there for somebody and they're there for a reason. Like I think that's really important. Well, tell me about the subgenre of historical fiction. Okay. What would fit in there? I just finished one recently, Gail Carson Levine, who wrote Ella Enchanted. I think that's probably the one that she's most well known for wrote a book called A Ceiling Made of Eggshells, and it's about a Jewish family living in Spain in the um, late 1400s, which is, like, a super specific, um, like, time and place, and it's a really wealthy family, and the main character basically follows her grandfather around to talk to kings and queens, um, and the whole story documents the Jews getting kicked out of Spain. Wow. Yeah. Which I didn't know about. There's an author's note at the end where Gail Carson Levine talks about like her own family having inspired this story because I believe either her father or her grandfather left Europe at a really young age but had kind of had this like really innate sense of language so that when he was traveling in Spain like he was able to shoot off a sentence in Spanish. But yeah, just like she was tracking like the possibilities of her family through time. And like you just said, it's not something that people might have known mm -hmm. about. And to me, um, if anyone remembers or is a fan of the Royal Diaries, which are kind of like the Dear America series, this one kind of read like that to me. It wasn't written in diary form, but it really encompassed a really big sweeping plot of time and kind of all the same stuff that maybe rich folks got up to back then. Mm -hmm. And I also read Show Me a Sign by Anne Claire Lizotte. I gave that one five stars, and that one was about Martha's Vineyard in the early 1800s and how there was a really large deaf population there, so show me a sign being sign language. And this little girl gets kidnapped from the island by this guy who comes to um, study why deafness is happening there. And there's just so much beautiful writing about the relationships between uh, she's a she's part of a white family, relationships between white settlers and the Wampanoag people, and then also black freed people who live and work and also intermarried the Wampanoag folks. And I loved in that book that the author never used the phrase, I said, or didn't frequently use that phrase. And it was always, I signed, he signed, because they developed their own sign language and um, even more shorthand on that island and also by family. And so the author is deaf herself and included lots of historical notes at the end about the Wampanoag folks and the development of like American Sign Language and all its different branches. And I learned that there's African-American Sign Language and there's Native Sign Language, all that kind of stuff. And once again, heavy hitters. Yeah. What do I read? For? Like, I mean, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, what do I read for fun? These sound like monumental books, very important, important books. But it isn't exactly mind lightning junk food. Right. So. Like, I'm even looking at my list and there's a graphic novel called Seance Tea Party, which has really beautiful coloring and really cool artistry throughout it. But it's about a ghost who died in the 70s. Who needs to, like, find peace? Again, that's that's very trying. And 
makes me wonder if you, at any point over 174, had a moment where it was hard to get through a book. That is something that one has to learn. There, I think there probably were five or less books that I gave up on. I couldn't tell you the titles, and I probably wouldn't want to tell you the titles right mm-hmm. now. Having such a heavy reading goal and also just... You know, as I get older, time is precious. Mm-hmm. If it's not grabbing me within the first 30 pages, it's really okay to to not do it. Sure. But let's say you get 140 pages into a oh, book God. and it gets heavy and you're like, oh, man, the world is dreadful enough as it is. Do I want to finish this and, and stay in possibly a dreadful book? I would never let myself get that far, Jeffrey. Okay. <laughs> Didn't someone said there's like a rule, right? That Oh yes, it is one hundred minus your current age and you shouldn't go past that current That's still too long. Yeah. No. So. I don't know I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I've heard like variations on it like to every ten pages or so. Yeah, but it what's the word I want? Stamina is the thing for me. Mental stamina. I think it does I think it requires mental stamina unless there's another phrase that I just can't think of because I was really like everybody worn down by the world and mm-hmm. i think there, there were some people who just could not focus on their reading but then again there could be others that reading was exactly the salve that they needed i don't know mm-hmm. and i i think it's all about cutting yourself slack because i definitely like i said i didn't pick up until a few months in and i had my own period of time where i was just kind of aimless mm-hmm. i leaned really hard into audiobooks around the house and i found the series that was about a 1920s semi-middle-class woman who went to, like, rich people's estates and solved mysteries, and that was just the balm that I needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm highlighting all of the things that I already highlighted throughout this year, so it is kind of a nice roundup of... Indeed, your best of. Yeah, my best of. I will say it's kind of crazy to look back on the stuff that I read in the first few months of the year because it just feels so long ago. So the very first book that I finished was called very nice sounds like a good way to start the year it wasn't i felt ambivalent about that book though Elissa's review not very nice (laughs) um a heavy hitter from the beginning of the year is genesis begins again and that one is by alicia d williams and i mean again it's it's a heavy hitter jeff but um the author grew up in detroit the book takes place in Detroit and Livonia, I, I, if I'm remembering it correctly, and it's all about colorism in the black community. And so that was really eye-opening for me as a white person to read. And she also spoke at our most recent statewide library conference, and uh, she was amazing. That's great. Okay. Do I get to talk about adult stuff at all? Oh, I mean, we'd love to hear if you have any books to recommend for adult readers. I mean, everyone knows for adults, Lori Gottlieb's Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. I laughed. I cried. I learned things. I went along for the adventure. I enjoyed that book as well, and I read it. It was one of the books I read. But did that book actually come out this year, or was it last year? It was very popular this year. Okay, yeah, it came back around for sure. Yeah. It is the, in. I mean, the word I'll use is intense, even mm-hmm. though... She she would she could be intense and tender at the same time. That's at all possible with a narrative voice. But it's technically a memoir. But it is very candid and revealing about what she what she heard from her patients mm-hmm. and her own experience in therapy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm looking at, I feel like this one was even like Late Spring, The Revisioners by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. Late Spring being when I read it. And that book was so cool. It was about a mixed, basically a mixed race family um, in New Orleans, but it alternated between um, like a modern day descendant and then went back a couple of generations to early 1900s great-grandmother great-great-grandmother and they were just like all these kind of like really subtle threads that tied the generations together that you picked up on as you read it and I just blasted through that book and I'm really eager to read her older novel as well it's a good podcast on time management uh you're leading this example of how to how to find that time to read gosh probably oh my gosh if I'm doing the math, you're easily reading more than 50 pages a day. Yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of assign reading to myself in chunks where I go usually 25 or 30 pages in each book. And now that you're talking about time management, I have been getting more and more behind. And I feel like I am I am at a point in my year where I, I have given up. And I'm more so reading for for me at this point. How dare you? I know. <laughs> I feel I, I will probably pick back up with the stuff that I think I should read, but I think I do go to these peaks where I'm like, okay, I am not dedicating enough time in my life for other stuff, like what is actually important, and mm-hmm. then that is that makes it easier for me to walk away. Because mm-hmm. I'd rather have stronger feelings about books and to be able to recommend them to people rather than being like, God, I just had to trudge through six books and I didn't feel like involved in any of them really Mm -hmm. like it just Mm -hmm. felt like work and so again cut yourself some slack we're all going through a really hard time but I will advocate for maybe carving out a routine for yourself Mm -hmm. so like the days that I don't have to come into work early in the morning I make my breakfast I have a cup of coffee afterwards and it's when I'm drinking my coffee that I sit and I read for half an hour at least nice and also before bed always Mm mm-hmm the cat has to come and like be the little spoon. Mm-hmm. She'll literally rest her head on my hand that's holding the book open and doesn't even mind when I have to lift it up to turn the page. This is like the routine that we're at right now. Oh, yes. One thing that I do want to advocate for as well is read. And I've, I've touched on this, but read for comfort, but also read to get out of your comfort zone. Like mm-hmm. read books that are written by people who are not from the same background, the same gender, all of that sort of thing. Even through fiction, you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and even through middle grade stuff, I've learned so much. And mm-hmm. there's just so much beauty in that. Yeah. And I'm grateful to all 174 books that I've read this year because they've stretched me. I'm just looking at two right next to each other about, again, sexual harassment. Um, there's one that was kind of written in light of the R. Kelly scandal right next to Alex Gino's Rick which was our middle school book club pick last month. And we had this great conversation about gender pronouns between middle schoolers, myself, and the teacher who span probably 30 years in age. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. read, read, read. Well, yeah, the cool thing here is that you are reading 174 books and minimum you got to know 174 main characters. Mm-hmm. So the ideal scenario I see being is a parent who has a fifth grader at home or a fourth grader or a a shy eighth grader. Hopefully they call you, tell you about them, and you 
you match them mm-hmm. based on the little 174 characters and their experiences. It has been really rewarding for um, my supervisor to ask um, it, when he's recommending books for for kids and families. Oh, is like, have you read this one? And I've been able to say so many times this year. Yep. Yep. It's worth it. It's not worth it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I don't have the stamina to do this every year, but it has been super fun. And I guess for 2021, I have been really deliberating. Do we up the ante since I can see that it's possible? Or do we make it something that is more reasonable for me? Or I don't know. Somewhere in between, like, normal and me. Do we make it, like, 125 or 150? As your, as your podcast therapist, I would advise you <laughs> to just give yourself a nice, even number and say 100. I might do it. I might do it. I think you can do 100 a year every year. Mm-hmm. And think about how, how attainable 100 is after 174. Mm-hmm. You can do it. It's going to feel like coasting. This is, this seems like it was just overall very worthwhile exercise. I just feel like you've gotten a lot of information and emotion and experiences and perspectives into your brain, uh, all from books. Mm-hmm. So at the end of a library podcast, we are saying something that you would not be surprised to hear on this podcast. It's that books are great. I think that's what we came to. Books <laughs> are great in all forms. And that was Elissa Zimmer, youth librarian here at the Ferndale Library. I'm very inspired by how many books you've read in a single year. It makes me want to definitely up my game. But I'm also definitely enthused to hear about how many great stories, how many nuanced stories are being told by contemporary authors for the audience of this age group, the middle grade readers. So if you are a parent in the area, contact us. It sounds like Elissa has plenty of recommendations to make for you. And this is the Ferndale Library's podcast, A Little Too Quiet, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. Uh, My name is Jeff Milo, and if you could rate, review, subscribe, or tell a friend, we'd really appreciate it. Or you could visit ferndalefriends.org if you'd like to support this podcast. We thank you for listening. Mm